So please, if you have your Bibles, turn with me as to 1 Samuel chapter 22. 1 Samuel chapter 22. We're going to look at this passage here that has been uh, food for my soul. My wife and I are going through a transition right now. We've been through a lot over the last year, and in particular in the last probably three or four months. And She broke her ankle about three months ago, but praise God that she's healed and and is healthy and moving forward and driving again. But God used that to really get our attention, to really use that to draw us to, to the place where we need to always be, and that's relying upon Christ, relying upon his word, about the grace we sang so eloquently about this morning. But do you ever feel like sometimes events conspire against you? Do you ever feel that way? It just comes like out of nowhere, like, oh, my goodness, she, she just went to get in the car, boom, breaks her ankle. Now, now what? You know, among other things. It just feels like events seem to conspire against you when, in fact, God's sovereign plan is that they converge for you. They they actually converge for you. It's all an expression of his grace. But we need to get to a place, some place, a place of refuge where we can recalibrate. Get get your bearings back. Get your feet under you where where you can see it for for what it is. Because initially, you won't necessarily have that perspective. But God uses that as he takes time and events and his sovereign grace working through your life to get you to that place where you trust and rely and and you need to breathe in that grace we sang so beautifully about this morning. David, King David, I love studying David's life. Isn't that incredible? David's life. David was learning that lesson here in this passage. Let, Let me just give you a little bit of context. Way back in 1 Samuel 16, he is anointed the future king of Israel. He's, a, he's probably a teenager at that point. So Samuel the prophet arrives and Jesse with his eight sons. Seven apparently, but no, there was an eighth. And all of his sons from the eldest to the youngest passed before Samuel the prophet. And, and, and everyone from an outward perspective looked like they fit the bill, right? You know, they had the outward appearance. They were tall, they were handsome, whatever. And the eldest, no, not the eldest, the second eldest, no. All the way down to the, to the youngest. And, 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 and Samuel, no, none of these. Do you have another son, Jesse? Well, Jesse says, well, well yes, yeah, there is one more. He's the youngest. But, but he's out in the field tending to the sheep. Bring him. And it's David. And David, as David arrives, the Lord speaks to Samuel and says, this is the one. This is the one. And in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7, the word of God says, man looks at the outward appearance but the Lord looks at the heart. So David is then anointed the future king of Israel, but he's not enthroned yet. Many valuable lessons lie ahead for him. And we're going to look at one of those today. So with your Bibles, I'm going to read the passage. If you have your Bibles with you, 1 Samuel chapter 22, 22 verses 1 to 5. David departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. And when his brothers and all his father's house heard it, they went down there to him. And everyone who was in distress, everyone who was in debt, and everyone who was bitter in soul gathered to him. And he became captain over them, and there were with him about 400 men. And David went from there to Mizpah of Moab, and he said to the king of Moab, Please let my father and my mother stay with you till I know what God will do for me. And he left them with the king of Moab, and they stayed with him all that time that David was in the stronghold. Then the prophet Gad said to David, Do not remain in the stronghold. Depart. Go into the land of Judah. So David departed 
and went into the forest of Hereth. Please join me as we pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for the good time that we've had so far this morning, indeed, singing about your grace and, and relying upon that. We draw our next breath. Our hearts beat in our chest all as an expression of your grace to us. And God, as we look at this passage, all the way back into the Old Testament, we see David, we can see ourselves, I hope and pray. Lord, use this, protect us from error, God. Use this passage to, to bring us to the place where we have that perspective, where we see events not conspiring against us, but converging for us. Have your way with us, Lord. In Jesus' name, we pray, we pray. So David now finds himself here in the cave of Agilom. All right, so he has anointed the future king. He is in the house of Saul, the king at that time. Saul brings him in to minister to him. He plays music. And what's Saul's response? He throws a spear at him. He's throwing the javelin at him. And David is departing from there. And these events go on for an extensive period of time. And in, in chapter 20, David says of Jonathan, Saul's son, let's just, we're not sure. I'm not sure if he's actually trying to kill me yet. Really, David? You're not sure? I'm not sure. Let's give Saul the benefit of the doubt. So at the festival, at the banquet, I will not be there, Jonathan. My place at the banquet will be empty. So here's what we'll do. If, if in fact, your father breathes out those murderous threats, you know, here's what we'll do. We'll, I'll hide in the field, and the next day you come, you shoot the arrows beyond the young boy. That's the signal. That'll be the signal, Jonathan, right? We had Jonathan, yes, yes, that'll be the signal. You better depart. But that's not going to happen, Jonathan says to Dave. My father will not do that. Sure enough. Sure enough, Saul wonders where he is and, and breathes out these murderous threats. The next day, there is Jonathan firing the arrows, arrows and away he goes. David, now, 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 can you imagine? Where do I go? Where do I go? And where does he go? He goes to Ahimelech, the priest, first. He arrives there. He's hungry. And Ahimelech gives him the bread of presence. This is sacred. This has been, uh, this has been consecrated, David. You can't eat that. David takes that with his men and he nourishes himself. And then from there, he's still wondering, what, what next? What next? And he ends up where? In the king of Achash. Achash, excuse me, the king of Gath. Remember, Gath was the place, up until that place, where David's greatest victory had occurred, right? He, he slew the giant there. And now he's, he's there amongst the enemies and he's, he's seeking refuge there when... Achash's advisors say to him, do you know who this guy is? They sing of him, king, that David slews the or Saul slews the thousands, David the ten thousands. Oh my goodness, he feigns his insanity and he runs from there. And now he's in the cave of Agilom. Agilom's just west of Hebron, up in the hills, near Gath. He's hiding out there. It's probably likely more than one cave. There's a series of caves, and there he finds himself there. And then the passage tells us David departed from there and escaped too. Departs from, escapes too. Departs from there, goes to the cave of Agilom. And when his brothers and all his father's house heard it, they went down, down there to him. So he wasn't hiding necessarily because people knew where he was. His mother and father and brothers heard that he was there. Somebody told him. So it's not like he's hiding necessarily, but he's seeking that place of refuge. He's seeking that place where he can recalibrate, right? He's, he's getting his barrier. Do you ever get that? You know, like, my goodness, it just feels like your equilibrium's knocked off course when events hit you. David's in that place where he's trying to reconvene. And, but here's the first lesson we, we read about, we know about when you're in that place of refuge. It's not so much a physical place. 
as it is a place where you seek the Lord. In Psalm 57, Psalm 57, David says this, and this psalm is attributed to David's being in the cave of Agilom. He says, be merciful to me, O God. Be merciful to me, for in you my soul shall take refuge. In the shadow of your wings I will take refuge. Psalm 142, again, attributed to David being in the cave of Agilom. He says in Psalm 142, I cry to you, Lord. I say, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. The first place you go, the first place you need to be in that place of refuge is to seek the Lord. It hasn't worked up to this point, man. None of this stuff seems to make sense, Lord. Help me in this. Cry out to the Lord. The Psalms are beautiful and rich with, with, with different examples of people crying out to God, God, give me that perspective. That's the first place we all need to go, wherever that place of refuge is, is to seek the Lord. Then look what happens. In verse 1, And when his brothers and his father's house heard it, they went there to him. Your perspective then has to gaze upon your family. Guys, I'm speaking to you first and foremost here. You better be leading your families, loving on your, on your wives and your children and leading them. Especially when things seem to be conspiring against you. Lead your families humbly in a place where they can see in you that there is still hope. And David sees now that his brothers and his father's house heard it. And they went there to him and they arrived to him as he seeks the Lord. The next place he's looking, his gaze from up, his gaze then turns to his family. That's where it has to be. And then look who arrives. Look who arrives on his doorstep. Verse 2, and everyone who was in distress, everyone who was in debt, everyone who was bitter in soul gathered to him, and he became captain over them. And there were about 400, 400 men. Look who arrives. Look who arrives on the doorstep, huh? Those who are in debt, those who are in distress, those who are in discontent. You know, this was very much a reflection of David. These people. They described him. This is who he is. This is who he is at that time. And and God is instilling in David one of the primary principles of leadership. You see, it's the shepherd. It's the shepherd who earns the right to be the leader. It's never the other way around. The leader doesn't earn the right to be the shepherd. The shepherd earns the right to be the leader. It's the shepherd who earns the right to stand up here every week and preach God's word. And Pastor Garth is a great example of that. It's the shepherd who learns, who earns, who is weaned off of the things of this world. God is showing David and showing us the principles of leadership. And in stark, don't lose sight of this, in stark contrast to Saul, who is the king at that time. David is the future king. Saul represents empire. David represents the kingdom. It's not about the empire. It's about the kingdom of God. This is a supernatural kingdom, by the way. No human can explain it. And there's just one king. There's just one king. He is king over all. The Lord Jesus. So God is instilling upon David those principles, those who are in distress, those who are in debt, those who are bitter in soul. Interesting thing about this debt part. I really focused on that. Something, it's, what does that mean? It, it's, it's, you know, something has been loaned or borrowed that we owe needs to be repaid. Here's the interesting part about that in the book of Deuteronomy. God says that the compassionate lending was to be a measure of, of a righteous person. The Israelites, every seven years, every seven years was the year of release, and every 50 years was to be the year of Jubilee. 
where all debts were to be forgiven. The scripture never records, by the way, that once the nation of Israel observed the year of Jubilee. It doesn't record that. But this was to be what they were to do, so I hear they arrive discontented, distressed, and bitter in soul. And it says that he was captain over them. Isn't that interesting? He's the captain before he's the leader. He's the captain before he's the king. Humble. Humble. He's leading them. And there was about 400 men, the scriptures say. And David, verse 3, another interesting thing, says here, David went from there to Mizpah of Moab. He said to the king of Moab, please let my father and my mother stay with you. Please let them stay with you till I know what God will do for me. He's going to the king of Moab. He couldn't go to Saul. Saul's trying to kill him. It's likely if his mom and dad and her family arrived to seek refuge with with Saul that they too would have perished. So he goes to the king of Moab. Remember the Moabites. The Moabites were the descendants of the incestuous relationship between Lot and his daughter all those years before. And David arrives there at Mizpah seeking refuge again, seeking security for his mother and father. His brothers were staying with him. They would become part of his mighty men. But mom and dad need to be looked after, so he goes to the king of Mizpah, to the Moabites. But remember this, don't lose sight of this. David has Moabite blood coursing through his veins. His great-grandmother was Ruth. Ruth was a Moabite. You see God's sovereign scarlet thread, providential scarlet thread working through all the events of his life and yours and mine. But David has a responsibility here. David's looking after, so he comes, he says, please look after my mom and dad. But look what it says at the end of that verse. Till I know what God will do for me. Here we come full circle again. He's back seeking God. He's back seeking the Lord's perspective. He's seeking God. God, show me, teach me. It's been that way for me too. You know, it's always been that way for us that we, God tells us, he brings us to the place where he says, you take the step of faith first. Then you watch and see how I will work. You take the step of faith and trust in me and watch and see how events will take place. Go, he says, of them and he says of us. Till, and David says, until I know what God will do for me. And then verse 4. He left them with the king of Moab. They stayed with him all the time that David was in the stronghold. A couple of things, I was reading this again this morning, just going through this again. A couple of things that struck me about that verse. So David, he departs. 400 men. Great description, right? In debt, discontented, bitter of soul. By the way, that was a description of who they were and who they are. That's not a description of who they were to become. They were to become his mighty men, an incredible force that he was to use. Right? So that's, remember this about your past, right? God doesn't promise to change your past, but he does promise to change how your past will affect you. As we seek God through his perspective. So David comes and he, he, he they're, they're there and They're in the stronghold, and he left them there with the king. It speaks, I think, of the character of three three specific issues here. There's the king of Moab first. King of Moab could have said no, but he accepts that, and the king of Moab 
fulfills his obligation, but also of Jesse, David's father. Jesse had character. And this character was being imparted upon his son David too, because Jesse, David's father, was with the king of Moab, and the king may not have necessarily been there, but the king would have ensured his protection. And Jesse was doing nothing, would have done nothing, that would have in any way prohibited that. So Jesse's not trying to cause trouble. He's not trying to be a a man of contention here, because it says here they stayed with him all the time that David was in the stronghold. Another principle there, right? It's called humility. All the time that they were in the stronghold. And then, what happens? It's time, it's time, there comes a time when you're in that place of refuge. There comes that time where, where, where the events that seem to conspire against you, we start to see that, in fact, maybe they are converging. Not maybe they are. They're converging for us. Now, now there comes a time where you have to go. You have to go. You have to plant a church, right? As you folks have done two years ago, or thereabouts. Pastor Garth, two years ago? Two years ago. Look. Praise God, look at this. I had a conversation with the guy at our hotel yesterday, and I was wondering if he's here right now, but I, I, you got to come here, I said. Amen. <laughs> and he's just around the corner here at the Ramada Inn, and he says, what, what brings you to Windsor, sir? And I said, well, actually, I'm preaching at a church tomorrow. It's called The Gathering. Do you know it? No, where is it? I said, look it up on the website. So there we are. There's a lineup of people waiting to get in. And he's looking it up, and I said, it's just around the corner. I didn't even know where it was, but I said, apparently it's right around here. He says, yes, yeah, it's, it's Provincial Drive, not far, and so on. What time is the service? It's at 10 a.m. Why don't you come? I don't know if he's here right now, but if not, I hope he comes. The point being, that conversation could not have taken place had the events that led you to do this did not take place first. It hurts. It's painful. It's, it's all those things. But it's not about empire. It's about the kingdom. It's about the kingdom. And you have been blessed with an incredible responsibility and influence here. Very much like the gateway to this whole nation, this part of Ontario. It's like the finger that points right into the heart of the United States. We're going to show them how to do it. We're going to be about love and grace. Perfectly, I wish, but so be it. Then God said, excuse me, then the prophet Gad said to David. Now, look, look back at verse 3. God, uh, David says, the king of Moab, you, you look after mom and dad till I know what God will do for me. God always comes through, right? He always comes through. Maybe not on our time, maybe not on our schedule, but now here, Gad arrives. The prophet Gad arrives. Now, don't lose sight of this either. David was easy. He moved through different circles of influence. He was a shepherd. He was able to speak on that level of influence. Then he was also the king to speak speak with other kings. He was able to, to garner their respect and responsibility. And he was also able to speak with the prophets. You see that? He wasn't about one thing. He wasn't just about the, the empire. He was about the kingdom. And God, God instills, continues to instill those, those principles in his mind, his heart, his life, and in ours. And you do say, so. that's what the Lord said, the, the meek shall inherit the earth. You, you will have, what is Jesus saying? You will have influence, and you will have favor with all. They will see your humility. Even those who don't profess to believe in the risen Lord Jesus Christ, God will open that door for you. 
And David was able to speak into every one of those different aspects. You see, what happened to David, he was in the cave of Agilom, the scriptures record on two occasions. On two occasions, when the Philistines, the second time was when the Philistine armies were about to come and seek him, and he went back into the cave of Agilom. There should have been a third time. There should have been a third time, rather than staying on the roof of his palace and looking down upon his kingdom and seeing, and seeing Bathsheba bathing. He should have run from there and went back to the cave of Agilom. Whenever we become about the empire and forget it's about the kingdom, watch out. Watch out, you put yourself in that place. So then the prophet Gad said to David, do not remain in the stronghold, depart and go. Remember at the beginning he departed. There's that word departed again. Verse 1, David departed from, escaped to. Now David departs and goes. He's not escaping anymore. He's not escaping anymore. He's going. He's moving forward. I'm sure with fear. Because you know where, where Gad's telling him to go? David, you must go into the land of Judah. That's Saul's stronghold. That's Saul's stronghold. Can you, can you picture the scene, David, in, the, in these caves? The caves, probably a sequence or a series of caves. On one end of the valley, here comes, you know, there's Saul and his army seeking to kill him. On this side are the Philistines. And there is David. Don't lose sight of that. And, 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 but he has to go. He has to go. He has to go and move on from there. David departed and went into the forest there comes a point where, where the place of refuge has achieved its purpose now you have to go and, that, and, and he'll go back and, and we'll go back and God will lead us through all of that you see that's the perspective that these events will give you as you walk through this this thing called life you can't do this on your own we need each other I was two weeks ago or three weeks ago I was at the Ontario Prayer Breakfast in downtown Toronto tell you the story it was incredible there's about a thousand people in this ballroom down at, at the uh, um, the Royal York Hotel in downtown Toronto I've been to many of these prayer breakfasts quite frankly some of them eh, not so good but this one was incredible that all the political leaders many of them the, our premier was there there was representatives from the federal municipal government and we were there specifically to pray for them and different people got up and prayed and you know what they prayed in Jesus name that was pretty cool they prayed up in Jesus' name. And then the keynote speaker got up. He was a guy by the name of Dr. Kent Brantley. I don't know if that name rings a bell. He is the Ebola doctor, you might remember, two years ago while in Monrovia, Liberia, treating the Ebola patients. He himself comes down with Ebola. You might remember that story. Well, he basically told his story. And he said this, he said he was uh, in medical school some 12 years ago where he felt the Lord clearly calling him to be in medical missions. He finishes school, goes into his residency, gets married, has his family, gets to the point where the Lord now says, now you go. And he finds himself in Monrovia, Liberia, a year before the most severe outbreak of Ebola that ever existed hits. So the first year he's dealing with stuff, just like all doctors do, and then... Boom, here comes the Ebola epidemic. And they're doing their best. And they're treating people as best they can. And he said, you know, our contamination unit was just plastic with duct tape. And it was from five patients, went to 15, went to 64. 
And on it went. And, he, and then the president of Liberia approaches Dr. Brantley and says, will you lead our national efforts? We don't know what we're going to do here. When one day, faithfully, he wakes up, and sure enough, he started to feel ill. He didn't think much of it, as he said. He thought he was just run down and tired. Well, the Ebola virus is very aggressive, as he says, and it's not long before he was flat out. And bloodshot eyes passing blood through his urine and stool and in pain, and they did a test on him, and he has Ebola. Now, you remember two years ago, that's a death sentence. And he tells a story of being on this side of the plastic now. Not on that side. He's on this side. And on this side is his wife and his children. And they're reaching through the plastic and trying to touch his other hand. And they're weeping. And he said, this might be it. And he said that night he prayed. And he said, Lord, what happened? How come? God, how is it that, that this is, well, I, I'm ready to come and be with you, Lord. But, but I thought you had me here for a purpose, Lord. When... A day or two later, somebody came up with the idea of giving him a vaccination, a serum that, to that point, no human being had ever received. He was the first human being in history to receive this, this serum, this vaccination. And overnight, miraculously, he got better. So much so that the next day he was able to get out of bed and walk to the washroom, something he hadn't been able to do for days. And it wasn't long before that, or after that, I should say, where he found himself on a plane to... Uh, Emory Hospital in Atlanta. Five weeks later, he stood in front of the hospital. I remember watching this on CNN, and he declared himself fit and healthy. But he said this, it's all of the Lord. It was all of the Lord. Then he said this, this statement. Here's the point. He said, you know, folks, I'm not sure how God did that. I'm not sure how God healed me. He said, was it the vaccination that I received that seemed to work overnight? He said, was, was, it, was it that? Or was it five days before that when somebody had the foresight to put potassium in my IV? Because had they not done that, the vaccination wouldn't have mattered. Or was it the months before when there was a group of people in Winnipeg, Manitoba, scientists and doctors who were gathering together and they formulated and came up with this vaccination? Or he said, was it 12 years before that when he heard God say to him, Kent, you will be in medical mission." all of the above. It's all of the above. You see, Dr. Brentley's cave of Agilum was behind a plastic sheet where he was fighting for his life. All of us have that place where we need to seek the Lord and be God's, be God's men and women and children and lead and take our perspective off of this and lead people. In God's word, one of the, one of, I love this verse, kind of summarizes this in a real quick context for David. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8. God's word says this. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David. How's that to sum up his life? Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David. See, David had to go through that. I have to, you have to, we all have to. And we have to, God instills those principles. It's not about the empire. It's about the kingdom as we seek the Lord. Please join me as we close now in our word of prayer. Father, thank you for the example that you give us from your word. In this case, the example of David. 
a man whose, your scriptures say, a man who served this purpose in his own generation, a man who was after God's own heart. May that be said of every man in this room, Lord. As we go from here, God, encourage us to give us that perspective, that our place of refuge, wherever it might be, in our homes, perhaps, or, or across the street at Tim Hortons, or wherever it might be, Lord, that you would use these events to converge for us rather than conspire against us, Lord, that our perspective would be one that seeks the glory and grace of Jesus Christ. Lord, bless this church right now. Your good hand be upon this. Lord, bless this place, Lord. Continue to draw people hungry to hear the true message of grace. Be with Pastor Garth and Patty and the leadership here, Lord. As the, as the days unfold and as the calendar begins to turn, Lord, we'll look back upon this time and say, look what God did. Look what God has done. Look what God is doing. God, guide us and lead us. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.